Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 189 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is October 3rd, 2011. we got a great show for you this week on the podcast, talking about USC's 48-41 victory over the Arizona Wildcats in the Coliseum. We have a ton, I mean a ton of questions. If you have questions for the show, we'd love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address, or call us 206 888 Six seven five five. We got five or six voicemails this week. We're going to try to get to, and I've maybe twenty or so email questions. So we're going to do our best to get to all of these. We have uh, Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on. He was at the press box and uh, in the locker room after the game. We have Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. He was up there in the press box as well. We got a lot of questions for both of those guys, and we'll try to get to them quick. But I want to say hello, Coach Hyde. How you doing? Everything good? Buddy, I'm doing great. I tell you, it's a beautiful, uh, again, the start of another beautiful week in college football. We had an exciting college football weekend this past weekend, and the NFL had an exciting weekend, and Cincinnati got a big win, the Bengals, and I, I picked that on Sunday morning. Wow. I want you to know I picked that victory and uh, on a Trojan Brunch show, so uh, don't listen to me ever again, but I got my one-year win of the year, okay? That's a pretty big – I heard you on the Trojan Brunch show, and that, that, that was an amazing pick. I didn't. I thought you were full of <laughs> – but <laughs> you were right, Coach. Um, well, buddy, yeah. I tell you, we've got a lot, to, a lot of questions answered and so on, so why don't we get started? But let's thank our sponsor. Yeah, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. If you need it, hopefully you could get your home game tickets for them. For any of the USC games, you can go to sctickets.com, any of the upcoming ones, or call them 800-888-7287. Concerts, sport events. If you want to go to the theater, I heard uh, Wicked's coming back this holiday season. I might want to take my wife to see that, Coach. Uh, the, the, the women love that. The, the, the uh, was it the Wizard of Oz, uh, I'll take a, a you know, Broadway show. So it's pretty cool. So I want to check that out. But if you need anything like that, go to sctickets.com. They can help you out. You're exactly right. You know, for people who want to come to the Trojan Brunch uh, show, Next week, we're going to be at the Strand House. Have you been there yet? It is really nice down there. It's, a, it's the old beaches uh, right across from Shellbacks in Manhattan Beach. It's a really nice. Uh, they have a cool wine bar. It's pretty cool down there. Yeah, I haven't been there yet. I mean, we've been doing it from uh, the Shade Hotel, but we're going to be down there. So I just, I'm just telling people that. So if, if they go to the Shade and we're not there, that's where we are. Okay. At, okay, buddy. Thank from, you for letting me say that. Yeah, from 9 to 11 on Sunday morning. So after, after the games, definitely check out Coach. And Mark Willer down there at uh, this week. This week will be at the Strand House in Manhattan Beach. Well, let's right. get to these questions, Coach. Uh, Gene from Cota de Casa. He's like, Ryan and Coach Hyde, love your podcast. Always listen. One of the all-time worst pass defenses I've ever seen. Third and anything equals automatic first down. Monty Kiffin has got to go. Coach Hyde, what would you do different? And, and Michael was adding on that one. You can't play off on offense when you can't play defensive backs off when quarterbacks are only taking two or three step drops. So he had a, 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 a difference with opinion of what Monty Kiffin was doing as far as uh, defensive philosophy coach. What do you think about all that? 
Well, you know, I was asked a lot of questions about that yesterday morning uh, about that. A lot of people think he should go and all this and that. And I said, hey, you know, there's always a time for every coach to go when you have your parade and so on. It's not Coach Giffen. I think it's possibly the philosophy of what they're playing defensively as far as when you pass play the top quarterbacks. And I would have to say the Pac-12 has the best quarterbacks in the country as a group as a group that can stand back and throw the football. And, they may, and uh, the Pac-12 coaches are making their living off of throwing the football as far as the ball control and so on. So if you're going to play a lot of teams that do that and a, and a guy's really hot like Foles is, they're going to throw the ball 50 times a game. Well, you know, that that's their, that's their game. So you've got to be careful. And I think you, you can't just stay in one defense all the time. That's my philosophy now. And I think that what you need to do is mix up more coverages. You've got to mix up your front. You've got to go after him. You can't let a guy that is as good as Nick Foles get comfortable. And he was just playing catch. I mean, uh, he had a lot of confidence. He had time to throw the football. Uh, he got sacked, I think, once by Nick Perry. Uh, he maybe had to hurry a couple passes. But basically, they're playing, you know, the, the 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 Tampa Bay cover two defense, and and uh, there's a lot of holes in that. And when you go against guys that all have great receivers, like these teams have, they find the open seam and they catch the ball. And the philosophy of that defense is keep the ball in front of you, keep the ball in front of you. And that's one reason why they don't really have a lot of interceptions, because you don't have a chance to jump on the football. If you get a turnover and an interception, normally it's from a tip pass or a linebacker jumping on a pass that he thinks he watches the eyes of the quarterback and he's able to jump on a pass and get a, uh, an interception. But the two interceptions that McDonald got this past weekend were just overthrown balls. McDonald was actually the first one, I think, behind the, uh, the receiver, and he, he got the interception, which are great. You'll take him any way you can, but it's a very difficult uh, way of getting a lot of turnovers on defense as far as interceptions are concerned. I think personally that SC has the athletes to play a lot of man coverage. I really do and go after people and change it up a lot. It's not that you can't run a cover two. I think you can, but I think you have to run it in different type of timing situations, down distance situations. Uh, never let them know what down or distance you're going to run the, the cover two or the man or anything. But if a quarterback becomes comfortable, He'll just rip you up. And that's what Foles did. Foles threw for 425 yards. It was a stat game yep. as far as for both teams and both quarterbacks. And it gets scary. And, you know, what really hurts SC is they dominate early, and then a team comes back and they make their adjustments at halftime. But the defensive side of the football really doesn't make any adjustments because they run the same thing. So they come back in the second half and they're able to perform and drop some routes and add some routes that really will become more effective for them against what they thought they were going to see and what they're really seeing. So, uh, yeah, I think you've got to change it up a little bit. And Coach Kiffin can do that as far as all he needs to do is make the decision to make some changes. And I think possibly you're going to have to do that. You can't face the rest of this group doing that. No, I agree with you, Coach. And uh, we're going to – we do have a lot of questions, so Coach might give a little bit shorter answers than normal, so we apologize for that. But I know it's not your strength there, Coach. Because you... that, that's not one of my positive things. <laughs> I mean, don't ask me a question, but I'll quit tomorrow. <laughs> All right. Uh, here's a voicemail question we got about third down defense. Hi, thanks for taking my call, uh, Ryan. This question is for uh, Coach Hyde. Uh, my question is uh, one thing I've noticed on third down situations – 
Uh, I still see a base down defense. I mean, I don't see no substitutions. I don't. I still see two different tackles on the line. And uh, linebacker-wise, they don't substitute another cornerback or a safety. Uh, it's something that, that I understand why they don't substitute. I see in the NFL, you know, they have different packages for each down. And uh, for some reason, uh, I don't see any substitutions. They should take my call. Bye. Well, thank you for calling in. And, uh, you know, I agree with him. I think you have to have different type of uh, coverages and different type of fronts at the same time. I think if you just become stagnant in one front all the time, people become accustomed of what your charges are, how you're charging. And most of SC's stunts or, or pass rushes are bull type of rushes with over-unders and so on. And, uh, uh, and you know, you see a lot of changes. You see linemen coming out. Now, when you run a quick defense and no huddle and so on, it's difficult to – Substitute. You got to remember that the only time you can really substitute easily on that type of situation is when the ball's on your hash mark, and the play's on your hash mark. You can run somebody out and somebody in in a real hurry. You really don't uh, need to worry about that because the team goes and lines up, so you're okay on that. But yeah, you even will see some packages today, not only in the NFL but in college football, where you see only maybe one or two down linemen. Everybody else is standing up on the defensive front, and they're just all blitzing or, or dropping where they really can't get a read of what you're going to do or stunning in there or, or whatever. You'll even see the backers going and sometimes tackles dropping out and watching the middle. So, yes, I agree. I think you have to mix it up. I don't think you can always play the same type of coverage, as I mentioned before in the question before. So, yeah, I think if you can't get to somebody or hurry somebody up uh, or or get him out of his rhythm, I think that's the best thing you have to say. You can't let somebody just play catch. And what they did Saturday, I think Foles and his receivers just played catch. And also down on the goal, and I want to throw this in because people may not ask this question, but I, I brought it up yesterday on the brunch show, and I didn't bring it up with Coach Sammy uh night who was on the show, but I said afterward, one thing that bothers me is when you get down in the real red zone, let's say you're playing defense and you get down around the 10-yard line, well, and you have to go to man and you have to play man there, there's really a mismatch between SC's quarters, corners, and the receivers from the other teams. And if you notice, as soon as they recognized they were playing man, they just threw the ball out there to the 6'3", 6'4", receiver, and Poor Roby's trying to cover him. That I said like yesterday. That's like me trying to cover Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, it's absolutely impossible. It's an absolutely impossible feat, and they've done that two weeks in a row. Arizona State did it, and he and he got a pass interference, I think, but it was a touchdown. And then again this week, Foles and Arizona did it. So you're going to have to make type of some type of substitutions and have bigger receivers on those big receivers. Otherwise, they're going to score every play. Uh, great point there, Coach. And uh, JJB had a kind of question or comment. It was similar to what your answer was. Uh, he wants to see more pressure on the quarterbacks as well, but he thinks it's too predictable. Like you said, on defense, there's just the same four guys coming on every play where other teams can bring different guys and you don't know where they're coming from and you can keep an offense off balance and don't let them play catch like you were saying. And, and Joe had a question or, or a comment too that, he thinks with the more spread offenses that USC, USC might need to recruit some different players. Why don't they play like a 3-3-5 like what they do at Alabama and not just sticking with the 4-3 the all the time? And, you know, and in general, 
play kind of a more aggressive style. I think that's that's a general theme of every defensive question we get this week, coaches, about they want to see more aggression out there. Yeah, I think you do. See, what I used to like to do is play offense on defense, have fun on defense, which means get after it. Sometimes my defensive players would even make a mistake and go in the wrong gap. But if they made the tackle, everybody got excited. No one knew. So, yeah, it's better to really play and have fun on defense. And right now I don't think FC's having fun playing defense. And what I mean, I think the kids are playing hard on defense. They are playing hard. Now, one thing they're not doing well, they're not tackling well on defense. There are a lot of missed tackles. I don't know how many. I don't count them up. But especially when the guy's in space out there. You have a guy for one-yard gain or two-yard gain, and you miss the tackle, he gets five more yards before help gets there. So, you know, I think you got to tackle better. you got to settle up. You can't tackle every time trying to knock somebody out. And right now it's getting to be you're trying to knock somebody out. You've got to be able to come in with your head up, make a nice uh, form tackling, don't let the guy make moves on you, and, and put a nice tackle on the guy because you can't let him escape you. And you've got to do that, especially if you're a smaller type of a cornerback because these receivers and backs are so physical, they basically run over you. And they're so, you know, they're so big, these receivers, that it's a mismatch in the blocking on the corners, too, when these big receivers come out and block the corners. Now, nothing against the ability of the corners. It's just sometimes it's a tough mismatchup with these corners against big receivers. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think that basically today with the spread offenses and things you've seen, that you have to go to more of a cover speed type of player, on on defense, I think you could take out a, a defensive lineman that doesn't have the necessary speed to uh, be in there because uh, everything is, is speed now. Everything is quickness. Everything is fast. And, uh, yeah, uh, Alabama's defensive team, I just love to watch them play. I just love to watch them play. Not only do they tackle well, they're aggressive. Uh, they are a great defensive football team. And when you look at the top three teams in the country, Really, Alabama, LSU, and let's say Wisconsin, or let's say Oklahoma, they all play aggressive, great defense. And they, uh, if you look at Alabama and LSU, too, they just control the game with the running game and special teams. So uh, I think that's where it might be. You can have fun on offense, but you better be able to stop people. Um, all right, Jeff had a question about Chris Gallipo, the middle linebacker play. He thinks he looks exactly the same as four years ago. Deion Bailey hits harder than him, and he's 50 pounds lighter. He wants to get uh, Lamar Dawson out of that boot and back onto the field. And he actually should be back for the for the Cal game next week. So Dawson was out of the boot late uh, in practice last week, and he should be back there too. It should help. I mean, having Gallipo play the entire game is a, is a lot to ask of him. It really is, especially when you're playing a team that's running 86 plays. I mean, I think they ran, I think the Arizona ran 86 plays. I don't have this. You're right. No, it's 86 plays. You're right. 86 plays. Okay, think of playing 86 plays, full speed, not always running right at you. You have to drop back. You have to pursue. You have to run all over the field. It was a warm day and so on. That's pretty hard to do. And, you know, Chris is really playing maybe sometimes too hard. What I mean, he's trying to line everybody up. He's got two young linebackers next to him. You've got to make sure they're always in the right position. I think Bailey's having a fantastic year. I think Pollard is having a fantastic year as far as young players and so on. And it's easy to criticize 
Chris Gallipo. It really is. But you know what? He came in as a five-star player. He's been injured, and everybody's expecting probably, uh, you know, a, a lot from him, uh, like the great linebackers they've had in the middle over the past couple of years. And Chris is, is trying. And to say Dawson is going to be better, I mean, I don't know. I can't say he's going to be better. But uh, it's a tough position. You know, they've got him covering deep middle on some plays. They've got him running around. He's got a very difficult position to play. And, yes, you haven't seen him make a lot of tackles. And sometimes he's over-pursued or overrun the play. But uh, I'm going to be light on him. I'm not going to pound on Chris because I know he runs the whole defense, lines everybody up and so on, takes control. He's a senior and uh, I'm the first one to say if there's somebody better, I always play my best player. But I don't know who my best player would be at middle linebacker right now because I haven't seen enough of Dawson. All right. Uh, well, thanks for that one. And let's see. We've got a lot to get to. That was good, Coach. Um, we have, let's see, Ricky wants to know, will uh, Robert Woods have his legs run into the ground because Lane Kiffin needs to, and he put in quote, you know, play more players. Kyle Prater uh, wants to see Kyle Prater in the game. And Amir from Sherman Oaks thinks that USC's strength is at the wide receiver positions. Maybe put three to five of them on the field at once. You could see more Butler, Kyle Prater, and Devon Flournoy. There's a lot of, I mean, I think people like to see Robert Woods catching a lot of passes and setting records, but I think they want to see some of the other guys get in the mix. And the, the one name that comes up the most we hear is Kyle Prater. Well, you know, let me, let me explain to you. First of all, I think he touches a ball too many times in a game and there's going to be a, one of these times he's going to get hurt. And, and I just cringe sometimes, especially on the kickoff returns. He's very good at what he does and so on. And Reggie Bush did it and everybody else did it and so on, so on, so on. But I don't, I don't think they got, punished and hit as much as Woods gets hit. Whenever you're active and catch 14 passes in a game and so on, and you play every play almost, you have to block, you have to do this, you have to do that, you know, you get pretty beat up. I'll bet you today he is really sore, really sore. And I agree with times of rotating a lot of players. I'm not big on rotating a lot of players, but I think players get a feel. But in Woods' situation, in Woods' situation, when he's in the game, I think players can play every play. But he's touching the ball one every third play or one every fourth play. And he's catching it in space, which means a lot of short passes, he's getting hit real hard, and he's getting stood up, and they're taking shots. And the thing that bothers me the most is when they do the chop tackle, when they come in and just chop right under your – you're, you're by your ankles, and I keep worrying about him getting hurt. You know, you don't want to lose him. But yet they do have great players out there, and one reason you like to see Woods in the game, he's a great decoy. He's a great, great decoy. If you don't throw the ball to him, then you know they're double covering him and getting the safety cheated over that way too. In fact, Mike Stoops himself said when Lee caught that deep touchdown pass, his middle safety was doing exactly what he was supposed to do, go towards Woods' side. So, for the first time this week, or past week, I saw them start to open up the passing game when they took advantage of not throwing the ball to Woods but throwing it to other receivers. Lee, Prather, Butler, all of these players are great players. The tight ends can catch the football too, and I agree. They don't have to throw him the ball 14 times a game. They can throw him the ball 8 or 10 times a game or receptions. They don't. He doesn't catch every ball. And spread, I called it this on the 
Trojan Brunch and pregame show, you've got to learn to spread the love. Let everybody be a part of the offense. Great point, Coach. Uh, thanks for that question. Juice in San Diego wants to know, Arizona came in with one of the worst run defenses in all of college football, yet Kiffin chose to go to the air. Why do you think that was? Well, you know, <clears throat> the first quarter of the game, I got in a debate yesterday in the morning on this with my buddy Mark Willard. See, I feel you have to run the football to win championships. You take Alabama, you take LSU, you take anybody that runs the football, they win championships with great defense. Uh, Willard was arguing with me that, no, the great the trend now is to throw the football. Yeah, the trend is to throw the football, but you don't see a team winning a national championship to throw its ball every down. Defensive coaches, and I asked Sammy Knight this yesterday on their show, do defensive coaches fear the run? He says, we certainly do. Because teams that throw the ball every down, you, you're ready for the, the ball to be thrown every down. And when you have running backs like Tyler, what Tyler could do is wear down your defense. He's big. He's hard to tackle. He pounds on you, and he, and he, and he hurts people. And if he doesn't make a first down every down, I mean, if he doesn't get five yards or three yards, you can't get away from it. You can't say, okay, we're not going to run this play. You've got to spread the field a little bit with that. You've got to let him run outside with that toss that he runs very well. You've got to run the middle with him. You've got to get a quick hitting field play, too, with the fullback. You know, the fullback never touches the ball in any run. The only guy that runs the football is the quarterback doesn't run. The only guy that ever runs the football on that team is really the tailback. And he's back about eight yards from the line of scrimmage, so nothing's really fast. So, But you've got to keep pounding, pounding, pounding. In the first quarter of the game, he ran a couple. But all the actions, if you remember, were off play-action pass. All of them. And that's when they just marched right down the field, and that's when they hit Woods on the first pass, went 82 yards and everything else. That's what keeps a defense off balance. So you just can't give it up. Even if it doesn't make a 10-yard gain, you still run it. Now, in the second quarter, they had success throwing the ball around, but they got away from that. I call, I call it you go to playground football, where you just pick one play here and one play there and so on. And because of Arizona's defense, let's just be completely honest with you, they're not very good. So they had great success, and Woodis had a great game. And Barkley, I think, had a sharp game. I thought he really threw the ball well and looked around the field looked around the field for other receivers, which I haven't seen him do that much. So, uh, yes, he had an interception. He shouldn't have thrown that, but, you know, sometimes those things happen. And I've been real hard on him on that. So uh, I think you have to run the football to be successful. And I think the success of the passing game was because they thought they were going to run the football. They should have run more of the football. And if you notice, at the end of the game, McNeil had some nice runs. He really did. The little scooter, like Dick Bass, I call it. Number 22, do you remember Dick Bass that played for the Rams? Oh, you don't even remember. I don't. I'm Ryan, sorry, Ryan, you were in diapers. <laughs> but but, but uh, everybody else out there remember the scooter, Dick Bass, 22 out of Pacific, played for the Rams. He runs like him, Scooter Bass, Scooter McNeil. And uh, you notice they started to have success running the football because they were so worried about the pass. So they actually, that last touchdown Scooter uh, scored was the winning difference. The, la- the sco- Oh, so you're going to call it, that's a, you got a new nickname now. You can call him Scooter. I like that. 
Yeah, tell uh, him that. Scooter Scooter McNeil. Okay, well, uh, he's, he goes by Moody. Moody McNeil. But I we don't can care what he goes oh, okay. by. I'm telling you how he runs. He okay. runs like Dick Bass. All right. Uh, well, let's go back. <laughs> I like that. Well, I'll bring it up to him at practice tomorrow. Uh, and then have him do uh, Google Dick Bass and find out he was a damn good player, so he'll be say, hey, if I can be as good as him, it's okay with me. <laughs> we will do that. Um, all right, let's go back to voicemail. It's uh, one of our, our older listeners, to, that, but I'm, and thanks for uh, calling in and setting in this question. Hi, uh, this is Doug McLaughlin. I'm from Camino Island, Washington. I'm a 90-year-old alum, as is my wife. Uh, so i got to go slow, and I hope you forgive my slowness. Uh, I had some comments, criticisms of the coaches that I see, particularly after the last game. But after the Syracuse game, I thought to myself, what is Kiffin going to do if Barkley gets hurt? He stupidly did not put in a second-string quarterback when SC was way up on the score. And uh, they've never played, and it's really a dumb move. What do you think about that, Coach? He had uh, some other stuff, too, but it it went on a little long. Sorry about that, Doug, but we uh, wanted to try to get all these questions in, so I wanted to let Coach answer that. Well, the first thing I want to say is, what year did you graduate? We might have been in the same class. (laughs) Nine years old. Maybe we were in the same class. He didn't tell me what school he went to, but let, let 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 me say this. I have said all along, who's number two quarterback? Who's the number two quarterback? Who is the number two quarterback? I really don't know. Uh, I have not had the opportunity to ask Coach Giffen that. But I'd really like to ask him, if Barkley went down, don't tell me you don't know who you're going to put in. Who is going in the game? Who is going in the game? And he knows, because it's going to burn a redshirt year. He lists John Manugian as the backup quarterback, which I think John Manugian would do the best job, okay, because I've seen him. And he's a senior, and he knows, the, he knows the offense. But he won't put John in. It'll be one of the other two, because I agree with you. Whoever it is has not got a snap the entire year, not the entire year. So uh, good question. And uh, I'd like to know what the answer is myself. Yeah, Manugian doesn't really get any reps uh, in 7-7 seven and seven or 11-11, on 11, you know, full team stuff in practice. Cody Kessler is the guy that comes in and gets the second team reps, but it seems like they would love to give him a red shirt. Um, Jesse Scroggins, who's already burned his red shirt, has been out with that, you know, hand or thumb injury. And he's back now without, I mean, he's not back, but he was, you know, he's not dressed yet, but it looks like he's getting close. Um, so it's tough. He's in a tough spot. Do you burn a, a red shirt freshman year or do you let John play who, if you're going to let John Manugian play, then why don't you give him more reps in practice? So it's kind of a curious thing. We thought we might see it at the end of Syracuse game. We did not. Um, if it's a blowout, I think it's probably going to be Manugian coach. If it's a, an injury, I would guess it's going to be Kessler. But like you said, coach hasn't really told us. Well, I really think what he's trying to do is to get through it until Scoggins comes back. I really think that's his main objective. He wants to redshift those two young kids. And I think that he's trying to wait, or hope, hope nothing happens to Barkley, where he has to burn a redshirt year on one of those younger players and hopes Scoggins comes back and he'll be number two. All right. Uh, let me get to, we got another voicemail question. This one, there's the last few questions we have are kind of about 
coaching and coaching philosophy. So we'll try to get to those in the next several minutes. Here we go. Yeah, hi. My name is Mike, and this question is for Coach or for Ryan or Dan. Uh, a couple things, actually, and I'd like to have their opinion on. Um, I've watched uh, Lane Kiffin coach a long time at SC, and it seems like he's more at the game than he is in the game. And I guess by that, what I mean is there's no real psychological edge, um, inspiration, no emotion. He just sort of keeps his head buried in the uh, clipboard. And I don't get that he's inspiring college athletes. I think that's about 75% of a lot of the coaching that needs to be done. I like the coach's opinion on that. Secondly, it, it seems a little bit like the college game has passed USC by. And by that, I mean uh, I see the pro set as a great proving ground and test for the pros. And that's why I think so many USC players go on to solid pro careers. But it seems like we have a lot of teams with lesser athletes evaluated by any kind of recruiting standard that are beating us routinely. And it seems like they're beating us by coaching and by scheme, not by athlete. So it seems like the, the uh, college game has definitely passed us by. So I'd like the coach's opinion on the, both those subjects. And uh, this is before the Arizona game, but I've seen enough, I think, to make those two points and questions. And we'll see if the Arizona game uh, proves me right or not. But uh, I enjoyed the podcast and look forward to hearing you guys. Thanks. Well, Mike, thank you very much for checking in. First of all, I've spoken a lot about the emotional part of the game, uh, not only here on the podcast, but also on the pregame show, and I've asked that a lot on the morning uh, Trojan Brunch show. And uh, I feel I'm the type of coach, every coach has his, his style. Bill Belichick has his style. Uh, Saban has his style. Myers has his style. Everyone has his style. If you watch Kelly at Oregon, you know, he's, he goes ballistic and up and down the sideline and so on. In fact, I was sort of glad on Saturday that Kiffin got a unsportsmanlike conduct penalty or whatever that called. I don't agree with the call whatsoever. Yeah, sideline infraction or whatever, yeah. Yeah, whatever that stupid thing was called. And <laughs> I, me- I mentioned that. I, I would have never finished the game. I'd have had about 65 penalties because <laughs> I'm chasing the officials around when I coach. I was one of those guys that, you know, I, I would say, here, take the headset, but it doesn't make any difference what we're calling anyway. You're going to make the wrong call. But, uh, and, it, you know, there's other things to watch, especially since we hit that topic. On the next play, there was pass interference in the end zone where Butler gets tackled, and they all missed that one, but they missed that Kiffin was two yards on the field or whatever he was and called a penalty on that. So let's get away from that. But as far as the emotion part of football, I'm the type of coach, I am, that's up and down the sideline and I'm leading my troops, okay? I'm not the one on the hill with binoculars. I'm the type of guy that's in people's faces, players' faces. I'm the guy that when you come off the field, I'm going to jump up and hit you in the chest like you see coaches doing. And when you come off the field and you don't do something good, you're really not looking forward to coming to the sideline you're really looking forward to going to the other team's sideline. So that is me. But everybody has their own method. Some coaches, you know, give their own pep talk in the locker room. You take John McKay. He assigned that to Marv Gu. You take, uh, I think, Pete Carroll. He did it himself, but Orgeron was in the background barking, man. And he was sort of his enforcer. So uh, I think Lane's personality isn't that of uh, barking or yelling or screaming. But 
then there should be someone who can do that for him. As far as staring at the card and so on, I agree. I think you're too much into your one phase of what is going on. Now, of course, that is my opinion. Uh, If somebody makes a great defensive play or blocks a field goal or does something, I would throw my card up in the air and run over and jump on the guy. But And you should probably be more involved in the game and know maybe what you're going to call without looking at it all the time. So I think he's been criticized a lot on that, and I think that uh, it's something that that's the way he coaches. And I think that uh, he's still wanting to be an offensive coordinator. Why so young? He wants something to prove. that I, I was a coordinator, and then I gave it up at that level. And I think he's still having fun calling plays, but he doesn't understand, and I've said this before, when the offense is great, you're going to get the credit for it. When the offense is not great, you're going to get blamed for it. And when it doesn't work a lot, you're going to get fired for it instead of you firing an offensive coordinator. So you've got to be really smart as a head football coach, and you have a lot of things to do, and you better be very much involved in all of them. And that's the question on the emotional part. He should probably assign someone due to the emotion and also uh, the card part of it is everyone's noticed it. Everyone talks about it. That's his way of doing it, and I really don't think he can change. He's he's into it, and he depends on it. It's like a crutch for him, like a cane or whatever. Now, the other question, what was the other part of that, Ryan? Uh, I'm blanking on it right now. Um, well, we got we to gotta finish off anyway, so we got a couple more I want to get oh, to. Oh, I know what he said, and I'll, and I'll go just say briefly. He thinks that we, the style of football is outdated. Oh, uh, okay. what, what the only different one thinks it is, it, it's, it's not outdated. The players, don't worry about the players. They got great players. No excuse on players. Okay. They're all four and five star players. Unless the system is wrong or they've reevaluated them. Okay. So they're all great players. As far as what other college football teams have done, a lot. If they've inserted another great athlete in the backfield, which is the quarterback. And what's happening, you're finding these quarterbacks today like Cam Newton and Griffin the third, and these other guys that aren't only just great athletes. They're athletes that are quarterbacks. So now what they do, they really put a strain on the defense. Why? They're another running back. They can run as good as anybody else. Now, a lot of pro-type quarterbacks can't run, and if you watch what's happening in the NFL, you're starting to see that trend change there too. And a guy that's really made an impact this year is Cam Newton. They said he couldn't, and he can. So let's move on. All right. Um, thanks for that one, Mike. And just two points I wanted to talk about. I'm on the field filming. One, T.J. McDonald, after he picked off the pass, gave the ball to Lane Kiffin, and Lane Kiffin looked like, what am I doing? He, was, he admitted after the game, he just kind of tossed it back to the referee. He was trying to call the next play. Um, so I think that's one of the instances, uh, Coach, about him. You know, He wasn't even really worried about the interception anymore. He was worried about getting the offense out and calling next play. But then there was also, after Robert Wood's touchdown pass, um, Marquise Lee came over to him, and for you know maybe a minute or so, Lane Kiffin's explaining something to him. You know, Lee had some questions on the route or whatever. I mean, it ended up being a touchdown, and Lane Kiffin kind of you know put the headphones to the side and spent the time to talk with Lee about what was going on there. So I think he has been involved in some instances, but in other ones, like the huge play of the interception, he wasn't really showing any emotion. He was just worried about his job going on to the next play. Um, John had a couple of questions. Well, Joe likes Lane Kiffin as a play caller, but he 
thinks he's an average hedge coach. And John thinks he's wound a little bit too tight. He wants the, to get the let the players go play. It's college football, not NFL football. But his main question is, do you think Lane Kiffin is the right man for the job? Well, you know, that's not my call um, because I'm not there every day and, and everything else, and I don't know what's going on. All I know is a couple of things. First of all, he's gone through some difficult times with the FC football program. And I think that he's done a remarkable job as far as going through what they have with the sanctions and everything that's going on and also still doing a great job of recruiting and getting players interested in being a part of the SC football program and keeping a lot of great players somewhat happy. Um, So I think he's done a great job there. I think he's young. I think he's learning a lot. I think that I would feel that he will grow into being a good coach. Uh, He is tight at times. He doesn't have the, uh, say, sense of humor a lot to deal with the media as far as like an older, more experienced coach can. Uh, Most coaches don't take the media take the media serious. They say, write whatever you want, but it'll make any difference anyway, and you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and uh, that's true in a lot of cases. I want to say that. And uh, I think he has the potential of being a good coach. Um, I think that he's done a lot of good things at USC. Uh, I think his staff needs to step up, too and do their responsibilities. They do it recruiting. But I think that there's some things that, as we all see and they see as a coaching staff, that needs to get better. And I think that's the best way to answer that. No, I think I agree with you a lot on that, Coach, 100%. There's, I mean, it, I think he's the right man for the job recruiting. He's at, they're asking him to do a lot with these sanctions. And he's going to be able to get it done. He'll still get players in the system. He's still going to grow and learn as a coach. I do think, you know, he can be – loosen up a little bit and I do think they need to play more college style than NFL NFL style and I think that'll come I think that'll come in time and then one last thing coach SP Trader this I thought this was really interesting have you ever made any changes to an offensive or defensive philosophy what did it take and he really wants to see you know USC get a uh, you know a good offensive and defensive coordinator and there's been a lot of talk about changing philosophies and things like that especially on defense people talk about the cover too can you change the philosophy coach have you done it and how would that work oh you can change anything you want uh and sometimes you've got to do it when you don't want to do it because when something's not working very well you're a fool to stay with something because uh, everyone's going to continually exploit you i tell you right now it's a highlight film for coaches who are going to play, play SC. The last two weeks, if you are a, a defensive or an offensive coordinator, you get the Arizona State film, you get the Arizona film, you put together what's hurt SC, and you make your game plan. You put your actually game plan together because if you think they're not going to change anything or keep the same, you're going to have a field day. And don't think coaches don't talk. I mean, if I'm the offensive coordinator at, say, Cal, I'm going to pick up the phone, and I'm going to call Stoops or their offensive coordinator down there. I forget his name. And I'm going to call down there, and I'm going to say, 
tell us about this or tell us about that. What was the strength of defense? What was the strength of the offense? Or I have somebody down there that's my brother or somebody's going to give me that information. So, yes, if things aren't working, it's like anything else. You better get some counseling or you better get something changed. Otherwise, you're going to get it. You can't continually outscore people. You're not going to go down the field and score 48 points like that against Oregon or Stanford or Cal or Washington. You're not going to do that. So uh, you better change some things both ways. You try to get better and better in every way every week. So you take the things you're not doing very well and you try to improve on that. And there's some things that you need to improve on. So I, that's the way I'll answer that question. All right, Coach. Well, we appreciate it. I mean, there was a ton of questions, and we got to them all. Thank you so much for spending a little extra time. We're sorry the podcast is going to go a little long this week, but so many questions, and we wanted to get to all of them, and I think we did a good job of that. Coach, thank you very much. And we'll have Dan Weber coming on the next segment. He's going to talk a lot more and get a lot more questions answered from all you guys. But thanks again, Coach. We appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for uh, sending in all the questions. Have a great week. Enjoy the bye week, and enjoy college football and the NFL, and we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, Coach. Talk to you next week. Everyone else back in 30 seconds. Got Dan Weber coming on the line. He'll answer more of your questions about this team. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to continue talking about the USC 48-41 victory over Arizona. We have uh, Dan Weber joining us in the first segment who was there in the press box and has got a lot of great insight and wrote a bunch of good stuff on this game. How are you doing, Dan? Everything good? Doing good, yeah. Not it's better to, as Ronnie said, it's way better to be four and one than three and two. That is a very good point. And uh, heading into the bye week, I think this team psychologically needed that four and one record. Even though there's a lot of fans that are kind of upset with the way it went down, especially on defense. So let's we got a bunch of questions, Dan. We're going to get to these now. Uh, we have Brian, who is a USC alum, longtime listener, and it's his first question. So I wanted to get all of his points in if we could, since it's his first time. Writing into the show, he says, it's unfortunate that we're in the sad state of our defense, and that's, that's what finally compi- uh, compelled him to write in. He made three points. One, how much of, of the blame should go to Willie Matt Garza not being there anymore with uh, some struggles in the secondary? The second one was, um, there's a lot of talk about the defensive line play, but he, he thinks that some of it's on the back seven, that they could get more pressure on the quarterback if the, the defensive backs played a little bit tighter coverage. And not necessarily just the defensive backs. It could be the scheme as well. And third thing regarding the secondary, could this team be any worse off just playing more aggressively? Um, you know, they want to limit big plays, but what, you know, you're going to give up a TD anyway. Why don't you just try to, you know, does, if it takes six downs to get the touchdown or 10 or, or two, does it really matter? You know, would this team be any worse off just playing a little more aggressively, and he and then he wants you to ask uh, Monty Kiffin or Ed Orgeron or Pat Hayden why they played ten yards off 
on fourth and two. He wants an honest answer on that one. So some great stuff there by Brian. It's, I guess, a good way to start off. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure I, I'm, I'm going to get Pat to answer that question. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and I actually asked, asked Bonnie, I don't know, two and a half weeks ago, and, and it didn't go well. Bonnie was uh, we're not all that pleased with, uh, you know, my uh, – my asking the question in terms of, uh, you know, defensive te- secondary technique and choices of, of, you know, how you're going to cover people and all that. And obviously here's a guy that, you know, kind of invented a, an NFL defense that, you know, survives to this day in the NFL uh, with variations and, uh, you know, done everything you can do in football. But, uh, and this is his life and this is what he knows. I mean, I, you know, I think probably most of us watching this team know now it can't. It cannot do what USC wants it to do. What the coaches want it to do, or hope it can do. Uh, just calling fewer defenses, but still asking them to react and read, and uh, you know, play zones where they have to hand off. You know, where's the where's the boundary where we have to hand off one guy to another guy and all that, and and stay back and uh, and don't make mistakes, and then uh, then come up and make a tackle. They just can't do it. It's just that simple. I mean, and, and probably it was the perfect little laboratory Saturday to show that because you had a team that USC could beat. They, I'll bet they needed to do it by record-breaking performances by uh, uh, Matt Barkley and, uh, you know, Robert Woods and Marquise Lee helping out and the offensive line having an awfully good day. Uh, you know, they needed all that to win, but maybe this, you know, is, is the day that it dawns on them that, you know, whatever – Whatever we think we need to do on defense and whatever we think we can teach them, we can't. And maybe we need to figure out, just turn them loose, let them play, uh, free them up, be aggressive. I think they'll tackle better. I think they'll come up and, uh, and, 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 and when you watch the game and replay, there are an awful lot of plays where they swarm to the football, they run to the football well. Now, after 86 plays on defense, and you're really not, you know, spelling a lot of the starters all that much, you aren't running to the football so well. But you have to give teams bad plays in ways in which uh, they don't, you know. I mean, the problem right now is the 18-play series, uh, scoring series, and the fact that teams got into the red zone five times and scored all five times Arizona did. Uh, You have to be able to make stops, uh, and you have to do things that – where you have to be more aggressive and you can't play passive and you can't play reactive all the time. And uh, I think, you know, younger kids and athletic, I mean, they're fairly athletic and they run pretty well. I don't think, you know, you can use the excuse that USC doesn't have enough athletes, but when everything is kind of geared to a team technique, react, um, gap defense and all of that, you know, you really don't free guys to make, um, to make plays on their own. So I think they have to figure out how to do that. This is the perfect time, you know, the bye week, uh, if you're ever going to make that change. And let's face it, they've been willing to do it on offense. Lane has evolved. This offense doesn't look like it did the first couple of games. They're throwing the ball down the field. They're throwing the ball vertically. They're throwing the ball from the shotgun. They're throwing the ball from the spread. Uh, They're not worrying about being 50-50 run pass balance and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they're going a lot of one back. They're going to their strengths on offense. And I think, you know, you could not have done a better job than Lane has done in figuring that out and getting them to that place. They have to do the same thing on defense. 
where's the, you know where is the best place for this team to be and you might be better off giving up a four play touchdown drive than an 18 play touchdown drive yes. you're not on the field <laughs> for those extra 14 plays i mean that was brutal when you look at you know a 12:30 start and they're out there for 86 plays i mean that's amazing uh you know that you have to be out there that long and without a lot of depth so uh, i think for a lot of reasons uh, Brian is uh, is very much onto something, and uh, I, I you know I, I, you look what, at, what uh, about the Garza stuff? You know, what, we talk about does an NFL team able you know with an NFL mindset where you know Monty and Joe Barry are coming from the NFL, and you look at Baltimore and say look at what Baltimore did to the Jets last night. You know all they did was line up, put their ears back, and came hard every play, and the Jets couldn't handle it, didn't want to handle it. They had some you know problems with their offensive line and. Uh, that was it. The game was over. Uh, and I think USC could take a, you know, maybe a little lesson from that. What about Willie McGarge? Do you think any impact with him not being there? A little bit. But, you know, I mean, I do think that Willie Mack, you know, was more able to probably uh, uh, coach uh, uh, the press, coach man-to-man. Uh, he had some interesting theories about it. And I don't think, uh, you know, as much as Sammy really likes the idea of playing man uh, he may not be as much of a specialist, say, working with the corner guys uh, on that. Uh, so, yeah, I think there's a, 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 it's a little bit of a factor. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think the big issue here is making the decision to go ahead and do it. Uh, and then the teaching part of it, you know, you'll just do the best you can. And I don't know that, you know, that we're going to look for, you know, a team to – to really understand, you know, this, this is not going to be the old Oakland Raiders, for example, you know, with uh, George Atkinson and those guys, you know, where they they, just, they would do things to people, you know, in press coverage that, you know, probably were, you know, illegal according to the uh, state law, not just, you know, <laughs> NFL rules. But, uh, uh, you know, USC may not get there, but I just think the idea of being aggressive and, 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 and going after people, I, I think Sammy's really good at, uh, you know, getting kids, into an aggressive, uh, you know, mindset. And, and I think Monty kind of used to pick his, pick his times for them to do that. And I think once everybody kind of gets on the same page and says, this is how we have to do it, we really don't have any choice, uh, you know, I think it'll come along uh, decently enough uh, that it'll, it'll be worth going there. All right. Well, here's a, here we got a voicemail question on the defense as well. Obviously, there's a lot of defensive questions, Dan. So here we go. Yeah, this is Rich. Uh Speaking of USC's defense, I wish somebody could explain it to me because I've uh, been watching it for two years now. Uh, I don't see any difference. I see guys playing out of position. Uh, today at the game especially, Kalippo was completely out of position on numerous plays, running all over the place, trying to bump guys out of bounds. Uh, and when you give up 40 points in two games separately, like SC has done in the past two weeks, uh, you're not playing defense, and uh, you're not going to be winning many ball games. So, if you guys could explain SC's defense and why it is like it is, I've been going to the games for many, many years. This is one of the worst defenses I've ever seen. Uh, I just don't understand it. Thanks very much. Enjoy your program a lot. Bye. Okay, uh, Rich. I mean, Lane explained a little bit to us on the conference call. He said that his input last week was. Don't let them throw the ball deep over us. Don't let uh, let their big wide receivers, six four, uh, Jerron Kreider. I think uh, the other they had they were like Arizona State, I guess, a little bit when you think about it. A couple of six three guys, and don't let them be throwing uh, throwing the ball deep with jump balls and uh, you know scoring quickly and all that kind of thing. Keep everything in front of us. You know, well, 
uh, USC did that. They kept it in front of them. I mean, even when they were in the end zone, you know, they caught the ball in front of them, but uh, that didn't exactly keep them out of the end zone, didn't keep them from, you know, recording 37 first downs, completing 41 passes for 41 points. So, you know, playing it safe might not be the way to go with this team. Uh, uh, you know, just I think it's so discouraging if uh, – if you're constantly giving up first downs and constantly giving up first downs, I think it really makes it hard uh, for guys to make individual plays. And, and I think, you know, the one thing, as much as Pete's defenses resembled, you know, and he was the protege of Monty, and as much as they resembled what Monty did in the NFL, I think the key difference for Pete, you know, and when you talk to the players, and, and as much as this might have been, the very fact that, you know, you come in here and you've got Troy Polamalu and then you've got Matt Rudigood and you've got Lefa Tatupu coming along afterwards was uh, make a play, make a play on defense and make a play on the ball. Uh, Monty's uh, basic message in asking this, you know, what do you want your kids to know about how you approach, uh, you know, them in your defense? What do you want them to, to understand about you? And he said, I want them to understand don't make a mistake. And I think that's probably gets you to the heart of, of the issue is they're thinking out there, even though they have simplified it, they don't run as many different defenses. They still uh, are thinking about what's my responsibility here. Not so much about making a play, not so much about getting to the quarterback, but, but, you know, playing your gap defense and uh, doing all the responsibilities. And, you know, as much as people, you know, focus on Chris Gallipo, I mean, here is a guy, they threw the ball like on a 15-yard completion to the tight end over the middle, and here comes the USC defender from the back line and just drills the guy. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, which one of the safeties made that play? Then I realized it was Gallipo. He must have been, you know, 25 yards downfield playing deep middle, which is what he's supposed to do. And he is running all over the field, and you're right. On that one play where they scored a touchdown, all he could do was get to the sideline and, you know, two-hand touch that guy, you know, uh, and, and that didn't stop him, actually, that two-hand touch. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, they really ask a lot of the middle linebacker in this defense, uh, uh, you know, when you've got to play deep middle third uh, on a lot of the coverages. So uh, I'm not sure what they want to do fits what they need to do. Uh, in the Pac-12, with as many good quarterbacks and as many good receivers and as many good offenses, uh, they will pick you apart. And whether you give them a deep ball or not, it almost doesn't matter. I mean, it didn't matter last week at Arizona State. It didn't, ma- it didn't matter this, you know, this Saturday at, with Arizona. Uh, so I think they've got to go in a different direction. Uh, I, you know, again, I think a lot of us uh, kind of have the same, uh, you know come to the same conclusion what do they have to lose that's a good point and uh we got a couple more questions on the defense fast eddie it was basically the same thing he wants actually to switch defensive coordinators he said there's athletes that can play on the line and blitz more want to be more aggressive like other schools is 80 yards worse than four 20 yard plays Uh, so he wants to see that and then clay actually loved your response to the rose bowl hat thing last week he says dig it d web um he went to the game and he said it was like watching prevent for four quarters. Honestly, it is easy. Just things have to change or get picked apart from here on out. There's too much to ask Barkley to break records to win. Uh, was it 84 points in two games? That's too much talent on defense to let this happen. I th- and I think that gets to the core of the thing, Dan, because there is a lot of talent on the defense. It doesn't look like 
the scheme is letting the talent play up to their potential. No, I think it's, it's, it's scheme first and, uh, you know, fit into the scheme. And I do think there is that, you know, analogy of, you know, pounding those square pegs into the round hole. I think it's, it's sometimes you have to adjust. And it's the hardest thing in the world if you're a college coach. Uh, uh, and, and college football, especially when you're, you're, you're coaching somebody else's, uh, a lot of them are somebody else's players. And, uh, uh, you know, in college basketball, for example, with just five guys on the floor at a time, you can kind of recruit to the way you coach. And there are guys who don't coach anything but zone. And there are guys who don't coach anything but man. And there are guys who coach, you know, full court, you know, where they really, uh, you know, going to make you play the whole, you know, the whole 94 feet. And other guys who really go way. But, you know, and so in college basketball, I think you have more ability to do that. But in football, I do think you have to really be uh, analytical and they've got now, what, 17 games uh, uh, coaching these kids. And, and you've got to say what we're trying to do with them is probably not the best thing for these kids, uh, especially when you're asking them to play it safe, catch, let, let people catch the ball in front of you, uh, and then come up and make tackles when you realize, you know, that this is probably not something they do very well. This is not a team last year – you know, we could attribute it to the fact that, you know, they weren't tackling in practice so that they were taking those bad angles and, um, you know, improper approaches and, and they weren't wrapping up and all that. But they are allowed to tackle in practice, you know, now. Now, my personal feeling is they may still be a little bit in an NFL mindset during the week and coaching them a little bit more in terms of uh, scheme as opposed to basic fundamentals of tackling and, and all of that. It would seem like if they let them go and turn them loose and become more aggressive, I think they've got the uh, ability to get more individual plays out of the individual talent up front. Now, you have to take chances because everybody's not, you know, in the same scheme. But, but you know, look at what they do in the NFL when they turn, you know, certain guys loose and, and just let them make a play. Uh, they're they're going to be taking chances. But I think overall – if it does nothing but improve their ability to tackle in space because they're swarming to the ball, that's a big plus. That's a giant plus. And, and you know, look at what, you know, LSU and Alabama, people like that do. Uh, you know, they do an awful lot of that where they really just aggressively swarm to the ball. Now, everybody's got their responsibilities and what have you, but it certainly seems like they're able to incorporate younger, talented players more quickly in those kinds of schemes, and one would like to see them have the ability to do that, you know, with this team. I mean, let's face it, uh, nobody's, uh, uh, you know, working better, you know, in terms of results than, uh, uh, you know, than Deion Bailey. I mean, how how much better can you play? And here's a kid without a lot of experience, and he's just playing and running to the football and uh, creating havoc, and, you know, he's got a chance to knock the ball loose on most plays. And uh, one would like to see him, give more kids kind of that ability. Dion, uh, and I thought it was a great idea with, you know, the idea of going with a smaller, quicker, hybrid kind of linebacker could run to the football. Uh, maybe that's the kind of way they need to go with, uh, you know, with the entire defense and just, you know, uh, go with their athleticism, go with being aggressive, go with attacking and uh, take the chances uh, for, you know, because that way you get some positive out of it. What, what it looks like now is, they're not getting anything positive out of the defense. No, completely uh, not. <laughs> they basically have eliminated that chance. So, 
Yeah, you want. I mean, you get the ball back quicker, or even if you give up a score quicker, you get the the offense gets the ball faster. So that's probably where you want the ball right now with this USC offense. Uh, well, we have a question on offense. This is actually uh, about Dylan Baxter. Here's a voicemail question. Hey Ryan, it's uh, Chris calling from Fontana. Just wanted to uh, uh, quick comment and congratulate the on a on a great football game offensively. I thought we looked fantastic. Thought we played a little safe defensively, but uh, a win's a win. Anyway, quick uh, question on the uh, running game, uh, more specifically Dylan Baxter and what his role is at this point uh, in this rotation. I know you know he had such uh, everybody had such high hopes for him uh, when he came into the program. Uh, I, I've heard you guys say that he's had some very good practices. Um, however, we don't see him on the field. Um, and I know it wasn't too long ago that his parents had a, a meeting with Kiffin uh, regarding his role. So just wanted to get some feedback on where Dylan Baxter's uh, role is on this football team at this point. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot. Fight on. And, uh, and Amir from Sherman Oaks wanted to add to that, Dan. When do you think Bill and Dylan Baxter is going to transfer? <laughs> so it's a Dylan Baxter question. I, I don't know. I was, uh, I was watching him. Uh, when the team went up the tunnel after the game and he stopped at the, uh, you know, at the, at the stands and I'm, I'm guessing he was talking, uh, I don't know if it was his parents cause I didn't, didn't get a really good, you know, uh, uh, view, but, uh, but he certainly had a long conversation before he left the field. And, you know, those thoughts go through your head because this is the kid that, you know, Lane basically said last year was, the you know, had the most talent of anybody on the team. And, and and we don't know all the ins and outs, although we we do know he carried the ball a lot in practice last week, and I know whether we're not allowed to say that or not, but uh, but he certainly you know got a lot of chance to uh, uh, you know to work in practice last week. Uh, whether if they're going pass heavy, whether that leaves enough room, uh, if you're going to go with thunder and lightning, which I do think is a good idea. I mean, I do like the combination of uh, of Mark Tyler. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, Curtis McNeil, I mean, I think, you know, those two runs that Curtis made were the difference in the game. And that touchdown run, and you guys, uh, Ryan had a good, really good shot of it in the highlights uh, video. Uh, I mean, he just scampered through that, you know, coming against the grain on that, you know, when he made that cut and uh, on that nine-yard touchdown run. And I really like the difference between the two of them. Now, you say, okay, so where does that leave the next three guys? And I, obviously they were looking for that a little bit, you know, when they went to Amir Carlisle last, you know, uh, you know, and gave him a little shot uh, uh, to see if they could get that guy. And I think Curtis can be that guy. Uh, what you would like to see, and they've gone away from it, is getting Dylan ready the way they got him ready last year. And I keep having this vision of that Stanford game. Um, you know, he got injured, but he also scored. He threw a pass. Uh, you know, he's a great slot receiver, got the best hands of any of the backs by far, according to, uh, to Matt Barkley. You know, I think there's a role for Dylan. Uh, now, they said, uh, the coaches have said, Lane said that they didn't want, they thought they put too much on him last year and expected him to do too many different things and that they were going to simplify what he was doing this year. Uh, one would like to see him, uh, you know, it looks like they're more comfortable in the shotgun now. I think the uh, the uh, uh, haphazard snaps were, were a little bit scary to them earlier. Uh, it looks like they're getting, uh, you know, more comfortable with snapping the ball in the shotgun, which maybe gives them more of a chance to get Dylan in there. I just think using him, it gives them a really good red zone option, and it gives them a really good third down and, you know, short option. 
and it gives Dylan, you know, a chance to really be, a, you know, a part of of this team. You know, and there are those of us who also probably would have liked to have seen Dylan incorporated as the holder. If you're really going to make that a legitimate option, you know, run or kick the two points, I'm thinking it's probably no longer a serious option. They're going to kick the points. Yeah. Uh, People but, boo uh, when they line up. If you're going to do it, you they, might want to have a guy like Dylan in yeah. there who is a legitimate, you know, run, pass, uh, even catch option at the goal line. Uh, so, you know, if it were me, not knowing all the details of, uh, you know, what everything, you know, is, is going on behind the scenes, uh, uh, but just knowing that they certainly are, you know, giving him the ball in practice, I'm not sure there are going to be enough carries for maybe three, uh, three guys to, you know, play tailback. It just doesn't look like that's going to be the case this year. And yet you'd like to see them get some benefit of Dylan's talents, and you'd like to see Dylan get some benefit, uh, you know. And, and so I think there are ways you could do it, but they'd have to really scheme to do it and have to go a little bit differently from the way they've gone so far this year. I think they could, but we'll see if they will. It's why people boo, Dan, when they line up in that swinging gate thing, like I'm down on the field filming. They line up the swinging gate, and then, you know, you've got the feeling that Barkley's just going to wave his hands and get uh, – Everyone yeah. to light up and just yeah, kick the PAT. But people you know, and boo. I think the boo. I think it's like a good nature. It's become now. It, it didn't start out this way. I think it's a good-natured coaching boo, which is basically they're saying, no, don't <laughs> do it. Don't even think about right, it. Yeah. No. And that's, that's kind of, I think, the, the decision that's been made, uh, that maybe that's not the way to go uh, at this point in time. And then especially with Andre Hadar, why take it? any points off the board yeah. for that kid. I mean, what a, what a, you know, great investment in a scholarship he is. Uh, it's just hard to, hard to describe how, uh, how valuable that is that you can maybe not take that first one, you know, first possession in and just have him line up and kick a 46 yarder. Like it's, you know, like it's an extra point, uh, terrific, uh, you know, so I would let Andre probably kick as many kicks as he can kick. I agree with you 100%. Uh, we got four more. I think we can, we should have time to get to them all. Uh, Mark in La Quinta wants to know, in the, the second personal foul penalty, who committed that? And I was actually down on the field, and the, the refs, uh, they came together. It was like a, a third down stop, I believe, and USC would have forced like a field goal. And then the refs kind of huddled together, and, and yeah. like they made a decision, but then they didn't announce. They just said, well, it's a personal foul. We're just not, it sounded like, you know, we just don't know who it is, but there was a personal foul. So that's what well, they call. What happened uh, with that? Lane, Lane thinks it was on Deion Bailey for hands to the face. I'm not sure that crew knew who it was on. I mean, it almost looked like, and I, you know, you and I both made the case that we thought the Pac-12 was really trying to improve its act. However, that crew looks like, uh-oh, these are all the guys they couldn't get rid of this year, and they put them on the same crew. I mean, it, 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 that was a terrible job officiating. That was just a terrible job. They didn't call a lot of penalties. They just didn't look like they were in the game. I mean, there were play like, for example, on Butler's uh, uh, interference that wasn't called in the end zone. Yeah. And you're looking down and looking down, where's the, you know, the back judge that had the call? Where is, and you can't find him. And then all of a sudden, he appears from somewhere behind the Arizona cheerleaders. You know, and you say, <laughs> oh, that was the guy. Yeah, he's, you know, and you thought, what the hell was he doing back there? 
I mean, it was a crew whose mechanics I thought were bad. It, they looked out of shape. I know they made a big deal about the, you know, the returning officials have lost 700 pounds. That, not on that crew, or, you know, unless maybe the, uh, you know, the, the referee looks like he might be uh, in better shape than all our guys ever refer to him as his, his glasses. So uh, they don't care what kind of shape he's in. They just don't want him out there. But he actually, I thought, you know, did a pretty good job. And on that play, I think he was kind of covering for the fact that they forgot who actually they think they saw put his hands up to somebody's face mask. But we understand it probably was Dion Bailey. But uh, that was, that not was a the one where job. The... the guy threw the flag from he was screened off. He threw it late over the top of a group of players. By the time he got there and they had their little huddle, uh, I think he'd forgotten what he threw it for or who he saw it on. That was a bad job. That that just was not. At a that bad point, job. you got to wave. They, you got to wave the flag. And then they like made that. a terrible by the sideline interference call that they they made on Lane. You know where on the other side of the field you've got a coach who's like should be in the NCA demo tape on what sideline interference is with Coach Stoops. And I like actually like Coach Stoops a lot. But if you, you know you don't make that call on Lane when the guy on the other side has been out on the field most of the game and nobody's paid any attention to him, which Lane actually mentioned to the officials in words we can't repeat here. But uh, he also called the league, I thought, uh, early, I guess, on Sunday morning, and he said he won't say what the league said, but he got a very positive response that he was very happy to hear. And I thought Lane made his point, and he was absolutely correct, and I kind of like it when I see Lane uh, really uh, defend himself like that and, and not take it because that was uncalled for. Perry in Connecticut also, he, he called out the referee, the glasses guy, Jay Strickers, I guess his name is. He says yeah. that crew, when he does USC games, it's always one-sided, not very fair. And it, it is unfortunate, Dan, because we did talk about, you know, Mike Pereira had a great seminar, and it seemed like there was going to be a lot of different changes. But there's certainly been some problems, you know, even the Utah game with the, you know, the, the not getting the score right at the end. There's been a lot of issues with some of these games, and uh, there was a holding call. And, and somebody on the board pointed out, and I think they're correct, uh, and maybe it was Twaddle, who said these may not be things you can correct in one single year. And I think he's probably right. I do think it's a little bit harder in some ways to call Pac-12 games because I think more stuff happens. I think they, uh, on, they use more of the field up. I mean, I do think, you know, having as many wide receivers and as many good quarterbacks – and the fact that the Pac-10 uh, Pac and then the Pac-12 now has kind of been this, you know, innovative, wide-open league uh, that, that really does, you know, challenges everything about the game, and I think it challenges the officials. And, uh, and I don't think those guys were, like, exactly one-sided in the numbers. The penalties weren't, you know, you know skewed uh, against USC. It's just the game seemed a little... Uh, out of their control and a little past what they were able to manage as did the uh, the Utah game and, 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 and to some extent the Arizona State game. They have it all, you know, it's it's not easy probably to do a, you know, a Pac-12 game and uh, uh, and it may not be easy, you know, you've got to, whether you say it or not, you still have to balance things out geographically and you probably always have to have a referee from Washington and you got to have one from Oregon. You don't need two or three, though, if you've only got two from California. Uh, you got to have some geographical considerations as well, I think, in terms of you know how you uh, how you set up your officials. But uh, but that wasn't an impressive performance by that group. Uh, I think they 
they kind of knew it as well. You saw a lot of it when they walked off the field. There were a lot of heads down uh, of that that group of officials. I don't think they're. I think they were thinking this isn't going to look good on film, is it? And I'm thinking they they were probably right. Are we allowed? They were. We saw them leaving the tunnel when we were waiting outside the locker room. Are we allowed to ask them questions as they leave, or is that off off limits? No, no. We're, uh, I think that you you can only do it through a pool reporter who's allowed to go and knock on their door okay. afterwards if there really is an issue. But no, you don't. Now it wasn't as obvious as you know the uh, the escorts, but uh, but usually they're you know escorted by uh, you know security just to make sure they uh, you know they don't have any problems. Uh, it's security's never been as obvious like in the Pac-12. If you go to the S- an SEC game. Everybody's got security. You know, there's three three state troopers for every coach and uh, and the officials. You absolutely uh, have to have security in some of those places to get them out of town. I mean, it's uh, so uh, you don't see that as much. But I was surprised they they were kind of just kind of wandering off the field on their own the other night, and uh, that was uh, that was unusual. <laughs> okay, we got two more I want to get to real quick. One, um, Jake wants to know about Armand Armstead's plans and he was on the jake he was on the trojan walk uh on saturday so he was there walking there with the team but have you heard anything new dan no but i I just thought i mean for people who were watching saturday uh watching armand down there and you know you know encouraging everybody and then being with the team and all that i thought that was one of the most encouraging things that's happened in a long time i thought that was that was a really positive, positive moment. And that's what I think we've all been looking for, you know, when does Armand rejoin, you know, uh, the team and uh, does he come back and start working out like Wayne said, that, you know, they're hoping he does and all of that. And uh, so I think Saturday was really a big moment, you know, with him down there and, you know, the USC, uh, you know, uh, warm-ups and all that. I thought that was, uh, that was real impressive. Really glad to, you know, see that. For for whatever it meant, it, it, it was a positive positive thing. Okay, and then one last one, real quick. Juice in San Diego. Uh, he actually said this in before the Arizona game, which I thought was funny. Uh, but he's like, this team needs to substitute more. He would also like to see the larger corners in there, since they don't cover anyone anyway in cover two. And it was funny that this was sent before the Arizona game, so he kind of knew what was going to happen. I think there is, there was a trend. Uh, I guess if we'd have known how safe they were going to try to play it. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, they played 46 guys, which I think is the fewest of all, all year. And, and 46 guys, uh, when you're playing 86 plays on defense and the, you know, hot midday sun and all that, um, I think that was asking a lot. I think they're in pretty good, good shape. I know people say, oh, it looks like they kind of gave up there at the end. I think there are some psychological things about, you know, giving one first down after another, after another, after another, or even the sense that with the defense we're going to line up in, even if we do stop them for the first two plays, we're going to end up third and 12 and still give them a first down. That really makes it tough. I think that's a that's a very difficult uh you know, thing for them to handle. And then when the game goes 86 plays, uh, but you're right, uh, Deuce, I think, uh, you know, they've got to play more players. And I think they they can't make it so complex. And I know, again, it's been simplified some. But if it, it, you can't have the approach that maybe you can only get one one team ready and you can only get one guy ready at a position and, boy, you're taking a big chance because you're asking them to know so many things uh, if they're out there. That I think that's really hurt them as far as playing the backups because 
the, uh, the level of complexity or the nuances and, and all of that uh, makes it harder uh, to get enough guys ready. And I think in college it's not like the NFL where you basically have to de- depend on your frontline guys. Uh, you really have to, you know, give them things that, you know, the young guys and the backup guys and everybody can understand the defense. And you want them playing aggressive and you want them, you know, making plays. And um, I think that's probably the thing that, that has to be tweaked here. Uh, and uh, I think it all goes together, playing more players, playing more aggressively, playing more young guys, uh, you know, playing more physical, you know, the ability to, you know, put some of those bigger corners in there and just, you know, emphasize the uh, the physical part of the game and the aggressive part of the game. Uh, I think is is right on the on the money. Uh, so we'll see. They've got enough time to to start making some of those tweaks uh, uh, this week and and next. So uh, uh, let's hope uh, we see some of those. All right. Well, thanks, Dan, for answering all the questions. We got we got to a ton of them. So I appreciate yeah, you. That's getting... great. There's some, some really good stuff out there, and, Je- and I wanted to let Jeff know. Uh, he sent out a whole bunch of recruiting questions the last couple of weeks. We haven't had Gerard on because there's been so much team coverage, obviously, during the podcast. We're going we're gonna to try to answer all of his questions, any recruiting questions any of you guys have on our show on Wednesday. So we'll do a Ustream show on Wednesday if you want to check that out. Just go to uscfootball.com. Probably be about 1 o'clock. We'll do it live from McKay. So we'll try to get to all of those recruiting questions uh, then, but... Thanks again, Dan, for uh, coming in. I want to thank everyone else out there for tuning into the show. We appreciate all the the feedback we get. It's a lot of fun, and it's fun to answer the questions. And, Dan, I'm glad you could be there to help out. That's great. We enjoyed it. There are a lot of questions, and it, 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 this is a, it's interesting to watch right now, I think, for everybody, because we don't know how this story is going to turn out. No it idea. It can go a couple of different ways right now. <laughs> and this is kind of interesting. Uh, this is, uh, you know, stay tuned. The ultimate reality show is, is sports. So, yep. uh, But thanks again, <laughs> yes, Dan, and uh, everyone else, thanks for tuning in. And we'll talk to you all on the Peristyle Podcast next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.